Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. Okay, well, I'm going to jump back towards my teaching, as it were, on this, what I call intercessory life. All of this, I haven't actually spoke on prayer, as it were, as, as yet of all, at, at all. And probably won't get to actually the aspects of what prayer intercessory prayer actually looks like, because I'm trying to lay a foundation in front of that, because as I've said before, intercessory prayer is more than regular prayer by virtue of the fact that it is totally selfless, again, that it has nothing to do with your wants and your needs, but also that it is actually one of the highest callings in all scripture. And the way we can validate that is by saying it is true that scripture says Jesus Christ himself came into this earth as the great intercessor. Right? Did he or did he not? And the answer is yes, he did. It says categorically in Isaiah 59 that, that, that he did, that God sent his own son, his own arm came. And then we know in Hebrews, we know that today, Right now, as we sit in here, Jesus Christ sits at the right hand of God. Guess what he's still doing? He's still living to make intercession for all of us. In other words, he came as an intercessor. He lived as an intercessor, standing in for others. Everything he did was for the benefit of others. Did you hear me? Everything Christ's ministry offered up and displayed was for the benefit of others. Everything. Everything. And everything he's doing now, he's still active, to say the least. He sits at the right hand of God where he ever lives to make intercession. I could speak more on that, but that's for another time. But the point is, if you can catch that, then you can begin to understand that intercession is something far deeper than most of us really understand. I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again. While everybody can be involved in intercession at times. Very few people actually become intercessors in the fullness of what that means because of the responsibility that comes with it and because of what you have to offer up to God to be involved in it because it calls, it calls upon you to display a far greater depth of discipline and courage then you might realize we all know the basics about God sought for a man to stand in the gap to build up the hedge, right? We know that statement. But even that statement, you have to catch what it really means to stand in a gap. And what it speaks to is a breach like in a dam. Remember where like suddenly there's a crack in the dam and, and everything that's been holding back, everything that's in that waterway, everything, trees, limbs, rocks, whatever's in there, whatever the muck and the, and the junk that's in there, it's beginning to break through and it's coming out. And someone chooses to get in the way of the mess that's coming through. That's one of the definitions of the word paga, P-A-G-A, which is the word for intercession in the Old Testament. One of the definitions is to get in the way of. And a true intercessor is somebody who gets in the way of what hell's trying to do. Do you hear me? Well, to do that, like I said, isn't something that you do once every three weeks, once every four weeks. It is, again, I'm talking about a higher level. It's like, again, the SEAL teams, SAS, and I'm not, you know, I'm just saying it, to really find yourself, I don't even want a word, I don't like to use the word successful. I don't know what word to use. To find yourself really proficient, you have to be able and willing to face what others don't necessarily want to face. You have to understand that with that journey comes a lot of opportunity for pain and for um, discomfort and all manner of stuff. You're going into areas where you know there's an opportunity to be hurt. Do you hear me? It's just like I said, we're like these SEAL team, these elite squads of warriors. They're trained and trained and trained and trained and trained. And then they're trained and trained and trained some more. And then they're trained and trained. 
And very few really pass through that because not only must they have the physical prowess, remember, but they have to have the mental strength. They have to be able to deal with things that nobody else can deal with. And so they, they push them to the very limits of their being because of what they need to find in this person if they're actually going to walk in a place of combat. Let me tell you, there's all the difference in the world between watching movies and actually having bullets fly past your head. Sadly, bullets flying past my head happened not because of combat, because of absolute stupidity and ignorance in what I was involved in. But nevertheless, I understand because of good friends, like one of my closest friends had the, had the, in Vietnam had the most hand-to-hand -hand kills of anybody in Vietnam in the SEAL team squad. Wayne Farley, 72 kills, hand-to-hand -hand combat, 72 kills. And, you know, what, what has to happen in the mind and the soul of somebody to be found able to handle that kind of a situation is very, very different. So anyhow, so I want to talk a little bit this morning. I talked, remember, the, weeks, the week before, taught on something different last week, but about this whole issue of, you know, the Bible speaks of conflict. So that, let me just relate these real quickly. Again, just read through them as far as some of the terminology that's used. Don't, you don't have to turn to any of these, but 2 Timothy 2.3, remember, says we are to endure hardness as a good soldier. 2 Corinthians 10.4 speaks of the weapons of our warfare. Ephesians 6.12 says we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but we wrestle nevertheless with principalities and powers. Jude, the third verse, says we contend. You have to earnestly contend for the faith. And 1 Timothy 6.12 says that we have to fight the good fight of faith. So when I teach this in schools, I always used to I say this, you know, think about this terminology. Endure hardness, soldier, weapons, warfare, wrestle, contend, fight. Those are the words that God uses throughout Scripture that we are to comprehend and understand are part of our lot. They're part of our journey. And like I always say, does that sound like an English tea party to you? No. <laughs> There's all manner of conflict that comes, regardless of whether or not you're called to intercede, to truly be an intercessor in a given situation, to change a life, to change a city, to change a nation, to actually do things like Reese Howell did and others. Okay? And even today, I thought it was interesting that I was going to speak on this, because as Julie and I were driving here today... Um, we went by, you know, the way we come, we went by, I forget what the name, Church Street, there by Westminster Abbey, but anyhow, you know, there's hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of people in uniform and what have you going into Westminster Abbey this morning at 11 o'clock for the 11 o'clock service uh, because they're commemorating, this is the annual day that they're commemorating the Battle of Britain. It happened back in 1940. I mean, it was neat to see, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of, like I said, Indeed, there's going to be thousands. As much, it'll be packed anyhow of all these people in uniform. But it just struck me because I wanted to find out what it was because I didn't know what was going on. So I went up and I just uh, Googled, you know, about what was going on there today. And it said, let me just read this. And I just thought for some reason, you know, because I want to talk a little bit about courage. This is interesting. It says, this annual service marks the remarkable victory and the loss of life by Royal Air Force pilots and air crew during the Battle of Britain in 1940. And it is an occasion to mark the nation's gratitude for the service and the sacrifice of those who took part in this critical phase of World War II. The Battle of Britain was the first major campaign to be fought entirely in the skies. And see, spiritual warfare is sky warfare. It's spiritual. It's not earth. This is why true intercessors become part, it's basically, we used to say, part of God's air force. And whoever controls the airs win the battles. That's what they say in war today. The people who have supremacy in the air, the pe listen to me, the people that have supremacy in the air are the people that are definitely the most likely to win any battles, Okay. The Battle of Britain was the first major campaign to be fought entirely in the skies. When the battle was over, 544 RAF pilots and aircrew were dead. This is in, you know, two days, three days, excuse me, three days. 
The conflict brought together a truly multinational force comprising 574 British, 139 Poles, 98 New Zealanders, 86 Canadians, 84 Czechoslovakians, 29 Belgians, 21 Australians, 20 South Africans. Yes, John, even some of the South Africans were there. Hallelujah. 13 French, 10 Irish, plus others from the USA, Jamaica, Palestine, and southern Rhodesia. It was Churchill who said this. And we all know this statement of his, but I just wanted to read it this morning. Anyhow. Churchill said this on the 20th of August in 1940. Quote, the gratitude of every home in our island, in our empire, and indeed throughout the world, goes out to the British airmen who, undaunted by odds, and that's the issue of intercession, not to be intimidated by what it seems is coming against you or coming against those for whom you're praying, not to be intimidated by anything that hell tries to throw at you. Hell's job is intimidation. Personally, individually, corporately, his job is to intimidate. This is why God's people are to know that God is with us. Hallelujah. And if God is with us, who can be against us? Oh, we quote it so easily. But anyhow, Churchill went on to say, let me just read this. Start from the beginning again. Quote, the gratitude of every home in our island and our empire and indeed throughout the world goes out to the British airmen who undaunted by odds, unwearied in their constant challenge and their mortal danger, are turning the tide of the world war by their prowess and by their devotion. Never, never in the field of human conflict was so much owed by so many to so few. Amen. Courage. Somebody say courage. In Psalm 78, 9, um, it, it says this. The children of Ephraim were armed and carrying bows, yet they turned back in the day of battle. Did you hear that? Yet they turned back in the day of battle. So what we learn from this is it's not a matter of having the weapons. It's whether or not you'll have the will to use it. Okay? Because all of us know we have weapons. I mean, again, it clearly says in Corinthians, the weapons of our warfare, the weapons there is a warfare. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, the casting down of imaginations, and every high thing that would exalt itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing every, every, every thought, bringing every thought, bringing every thought into captivity to the mind of Christ, and being ready to exert, to exert uh, punishment upon all the disobedient thoughts and what have you. Anyhow, I've got a PowerPoint now. This is one of the stuff. John, if we can put the first one up, if you, we can read this. This is a quote. Of, I read this book many years ago, Men Against Fire. Only five infantry companies on Omaha Beachhead, June 6, 1944, were tactically effective. In these companies, one-fifth of the men fired their weapons. Only one-fifth of the men actually fired their weapons during the day-long advance from the water's edge to the first row of villages. A total of not more than 450 men firing consistently. The best showing that could be made by the most spirited and aggressive companies was that one man in four had made some use of his firepower. Now that to a degree is an indictment, isn't it? But it's the truth nevertheless. But there's a point, like I said, I want us to see. Church is not supposed to just be a watering hole, okay? People don't understand what happens when you enter into Christianity. Yes, I will be right there with you. You know, I love teaching the love of God more than anything else because that's the first and the foremost thing that we have to communicate to people because, again, it's that which is 180 degrees opposed to hell, do you hear me? There is no love in hell. I said there is no love in hell. So God's job, our job, is to really understand that love is indeed the greatest weapon that God's ever given us. But you have to first revel, have the understanding and the revelation that you are loved. You really do. I mean, you know, it's easy to say, 
But I tell you, when you actually wake up to the fact that you really are loved by God, the Creator, that you're accepted in the Beloved, it changes everything. It's so simple to say, but it is the most supernatural event that will ever take place in your life. When you actually, something twigs on the inside, something snaps, and you suddenly go, I'm actually loved unconditionally by Almighty God. I mean, God loves me. So, and when that strikes you, see, it just doesn't bother you that much than what other people may think about you or what other people might say about you. I'm loved by God Almighty. And again, I know how many shortcomings I have, but that's the thing that begins to thrill you so much that my God, this God that I serve, knows every stupid, silly thing about me. He knows every area of weakness in my spirit, in my heart, in my flesh. He knows everything. There's nothing hidden from him with whom I have to deal with. Nothing. But that he somehow looks beyond that. He speaks, like I said last week, he's, he always speaks to the good in me. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't rebuke me. He doesn't fault fine. I love that verse that says, If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth to all men liberally and does what? He does, yeah, and the Amplified says, and does not fault find. God's not looking. See, this is so hard for people to receive. God's not looking for areas that are wrong in your life. I want to repeat what I said last week. Being in Christ. We are in Christ. Our position today as believers, we are in Christ. Now, don't let that just float over your head. I'm in Christ. And I gave you that silly little illustration about going to Disneyland and you see that balloon. But on the inside of that balloon is another balloon in the, in the figure of Mickey Mouse. And so when somebody walks up to you, you see that balloon and you see Mickey on the inside. But actually... You're looking at the balloon on the outside first. You see the balloon on the outside first, whether you realize it or not. And what God wants to get across to us is when God sees you walking up to him, he doesn't just see you. He sees Jesus that you're in. He sees Jesus when he sees you. I'm telling you what the, I'm telling you what the Bible says. He sees Jesus. It's hell's job to condemn you and to keep you focused on your mistakes and to keep you focused on your shortcomings because hell does not want you to go to your strengths. Did you hear me? A lot of people never excel because they're always aimed in the wrong direction. They're always pushing against their weakness rather than striving towards and building with their strengths. People don't understand the basic revelation of the goodness of God when you keep moving towards the goodness of God in that action, in that actual work of becoming more aware of the goodness of God, the bad stuff begins to fall off. In other words, it is a natural. That stuff, sin falling out of your life, coming out of your life, is a natural byproduct of aiming towards God. Do you hear me? As you begin to live towards the heart of God, and that's our journey, that's our call, is to learn and to know the heart of God, to really want His presence and to really get there. And when you keep that focus, the other stuff will fall off. It just does. Please, somebody say hallelujah for that. You know, even if you have to, even if you don't understand yet. Hallelujah. So... That statement there, you know, all those people had all those weapons. Only one in four people, one in four people on Omaha Beach even fired their weapon. Because, again, when that stuff is happening, when all hell is breaking loose around about you, that's when you find out who can handle the pressure, who can handle the pressure, and who can't. Now, God in his greatness, remember, you have to know 
that different battles, God will use different people. And sometimes you're not called to every battle. One of the major things you have to learn in Christianity is that God's not called you to every single battle. And remember in place in the Old Testament, it's very clear with, the, with David and his army and what have you, many stayed behind with the baggage, remember? In other words, all these people went to war, but many of the army at, that, at this one time would stay behind with the baggage. But God said the reward of those who stayed behind with the baggage would be the same as the reward of those who went and actually fought. Because God just sees you all involved in what's going on. But you have to learn how to say no sometimes to some things. I'm when it comes to intercession, when it comes to prayer. But if you do commit to intercession, then you commit to the understanding that there can be some hard times that will come at you and that you don't, you know, that you wouldn't have experienced had you not took up this 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 desire, had, had you not took up this project of intercession. In other words, you're intentionally, we sang that song this morning about being intentional in our pursuit of him. Uh, you know, Ayana did a good job with that, to be intentional, like to step out. Remember when she said, I'm going to step out towards us. We're going to move towards God. We're going to step out and be intentional. I'm just saying that this thing of intercession needs to be a decision that's made with the wisdom of God. You, you need to pray before you pray. Okay about a lot of things. Now, I'm talking again about preparation for an intercessory life. So bear with me and give me the benefit of the doubt. I'm not talking about just every Christian's wonderful, wonderful passion and every Christian's wonderful opportunity to commune with God through prayer. I'm talking about something where there's a different level of understanding and where there's a different effect that hits you, but where you begin to experience a lot of breakthrough and blessing because of what you see God do when you step into deeper things, okay? But this courage thing is anyhow. Uh, next slide, John. I've got to remember which thing you said. The next one after that, please. Um, so what this teaches us is that having the weapons at our disposal is not what wins a victory, but as I said, having the will to use them. Oh, good. I left H out of there in heaven. I was typing fast. Heaven, heaven, you know, I'm from the country. But it's not having the weapons that wins a victory, but will you have the will to use it? Now, some men in here have been in a fist fight when they were younger and goofy, right? Somebody in here, somebody I know has been in a fist fight. Somebody. And probably a lot of our women, knowing some of our women, you know. <laughs> But you know, when you're, when even as a as a as a kid in a fight, you you know there's fights you just don't want to fight. I mean, you just don't want to, even if you quote unquote have had to handle you know be able to handle yourself. I was never a bully. I was a bully hater. I was I the first time I went to prison was because of what I did to a bully. I hated bullies. It's just always been in something in me. I detest bullies. <clears throat> I just. <clears throat> long before I saved, I hated it. I hated it, and I hated it. And I'm not going to tell you that story because it's horrid. It's ugly. But the point is, you know when you get in a fight, normally, oh, there's a lot of ways I could go here, but you know that you're going to take a hit or two. And in other words, and so you don't freak out. You don't panic about it because you know you're going to get hit. But if all you do is think about you getting hit, you ain't going to hit nobody. Really wonderful thing to teach on a Sunday morning in church, isn't it? Right, Femi? I'm going to just keep smiling, Femi. I know. No, but you just have to, I just want you to understand it again. It's that verse I quote in First Peter. I don't even remember where it is again, where Peter said this. He said, why do you think it's strange concerning the fiery trials that come to try your faith as though something foreign to your vocation is happening, as though it's something foreign? as though it's something strange. Why do you think it's strange? In other words, he's saying, you've got to understand, stuff comes at you. Stuff happens, right? But particularly in this issue, in other words, I'm just trying to get this across to you. A lot of people, when everything really blossomed and was going everywhere in the, in the body of Christ, when the intercessory prayer thing exploded, 
you know, back when Julie and I first got saved, back before, you know, in the rock ages and all this kind of stuff. But I mean, you know, it, for a long time, you'd hear people, everybody wanted to be involved in an intercessor prayer group because there was this, some people thought it was glamorous. They thought, I mean, they really did. A lot of people thought it was cool, like it gave them a, a big gold star on their chest because I'm in the intercessory prayer group. But they, but they didn't understand a lot of them what they were really signing up for. And I'm telling you, I don't have time to do it now. I will do it later. So again, give me the benefit of the doubt. But it's that principle, you better understand what you're involved in because when you make that step to move into that stuff, greater opposition will come at you. I tell you, greater opposition will come at you and you have to know how to be at this and how to be steady. It's like Francis Frangipan said in, that, in um, his foreword in the Three Battlegrounds. He said, when it comes to true spiritual warfare, he said, you can't declare war on Sunday. You can't declare war on hell on Sunday and then decide on Monday that you don't want to play. You hear me? Because Satan is real. Hallelujah, though. God has absolutely overcome him. Jesus has paralyzed him, has dealt him a, a paralyzing blow. But again, the number one way he works is again through his strategies. That's why we put on the whole armor of God that we might be able to stand up against the strategies the plans, he looks at our lives, like I said, or he looks at a situation, how can I keep this nation tied up in knots? How can I keep, keep this people in knots? How can I keep this marriage tied up in knots? Whatever it may be. How can I keep you defeated? Or how can I keep you from ever, ever, ever actually realizing what God, the master, has called you to be? Again, this is why we know the word of God. This is why we are the most blessed people on earth, because we... Have all we haven't? Have you ever taken an exam in school? And have you ever taken what was called an open book exam? Ever remember that? Well, in younger school, every once in a while, you'd take an open book exam. They'd give you an open. In other words, you had the book, and you you could actually look for the answer because they gave you the book. And that was pretty easy to get good grades because it was an open book exam. Well, I'm just trying to tell you that's what God's trying to say. We have a book. We have the book. Hallelujah, all the answers are here. And so when the questions come, we got the answers. Isn't that deep? It's so deep. Bobby, is that deep? Very deep, isn't it? Even for an Indian, right? Right? Sorry, Bobby. Hallelujah. And the next, number two, many, upon finding out that they have entered into a war when they become a Christian, they try to avoid the conflict, the commitment, the contest, some would like to abide in God's garden where it's fragrant, refreshing, stimulating, and invigorating, but they have no desire for the encounter. Many do retreat, many retreat from the good fight of faith, not keeping on the armor of God, not being a good soldier for the Lord. In other words, I want to go to church to be kissy-kissy with everybody, and that's all I want church to be. I don't want to be involved in anything else. I simply want the fellowship. Now, see, that's not wrong, but that's not right. See, this is, again, this is the, the, the dichotomy. This is the tension that there is in serving Christ. The tension between just wanting to absolutely bathe in the love of God and experience the presence of God. And then, though, being able to go from that and do something with that to change the world around you. You know, it's one time God told me when I was thinking, when I was really lost in worship a long time ago, listen, I just had a CD on. I mean, when I was still in California, I had this CD on, and I was just, it, it was just one of those times. I used to just love to get alone, get in the room, and, you know, and just let it play. And it was actually this old CD. I, I, to this day, I wish I could find it. Julie knows what I mean. We are called the most incredible, anointed, album these guys put out i think that's ever ever been made in the history of god's music in my generation i'm telling you this thing would just you just weep and cry and god would fill the room it was amazing but i remember being so caught up in that 
and you know, and stuff where the phone would ring or something. This is some of you young people. This is before the days. I'm an older man. This is before smartphones. This is before mobile phones. See, long before you were around, Diana. You know, when you were just a little bitty, easy bitty, little bitty girl. No, but I'm just saying. I I I wanted to stay there so bad, but I heard God as clearly as anything. He said, "Don't." He said, "You're selfish." I said, what do you mean, selfish? I'm loving this. Don't you want me to be like this? He said, yeah. He said, I want you to come here often, and I want you to experience this often. But he said, I offer you this, and I allow you this because of what you can do with it when you go out of here. You need to go out of here and take this with you and understand that you're right now radiating my presence like Peter's shadow. You're radiating my love and your experience with me, and that will touch those that you meet on the outside. So go here, but don't stay there. And see, I used to think all I want to do is stay there. And I know what people mean when they say we need to stay there. You need to carry the sense of that with you always. And that's difficult enough. But you have to understand when you walk out of there, Listen, Jesus Christ had a lot of conflict. I mean, they, they wanted to kill him. They tried to throw him off a cliff. I mean, the dude went through a whole lot of stuff. But he was intentional, and he was persuaded of the will of the Father in his life. And so that made courage. So anyhow, many people, though, like it says, they want to avoid the... I wrote that this is part of my curriculum from many years ago about this, and I decided to put some of it up here. I've got my old... Notebook, I got my old syllabus up here. Hallelujah. I know you're deeply impressed. Yes, absolutely. But the thing is, again, if you can catch that, many want to abide in God's garden and just stay there. But they have no desire for the com or the commitment or the desire to actually become involved in the conflict. Now, the next thing says two things, two problems are created. Next slide. A, your faith has been weakened. In other words, when you don't choose to enter in, your faith is weakened, so you lack now the spiritual virility and vitality and muscle, which is necessary for standing in the time of pressure. And then point B, your withdrawal has put an extra burden on those who are fighting the good fight of faith. They not only contest the power of the enemy and stand against his onslaught, but they must also protect you and fight your battles. And I've seen that happen for 35 years. I have watched this happen. And this is why everybody is called to be involved in this and understand that at some level, now like I said, I, I'm kind of shifting between two things. At some level, all of us are called to enter into this warfare. Do you hear me? Not everybody is a general like a Cindy Jacobs, or for that matter, like a Julie Anderson, stuff that God had used her with so many times. But not everybody's a general or a colonel or a major. But all of us are soldiers. All of us actually are soldiers in the body of Christ. Seeing Sam, being surprised by Sam and his bride being here. You know, it's like Israel. I mean, think about it. You guys here, every single young person in Israel has to go through the army, don't they? Every young woman, every young man. I'm just picturing Lucy carrying a, an, uh, an M16, you know what I mean, carrying some machine gun, you know what I mean? I mean, think about it. Lucy walks in, Ayana walks in, they're packed, man. I mean, you know what I mean? They got machine guns on, they're wearing fatigues and all that kind of stuff, and they're there for three or four years. I just picture them on the range, you know what I mean? <laughs> Especially Ayana, I can see her going, I like this. <laughs> I like the smell of this gunpowder. Mm. But everybody has to learn how to handle weapons. If nobody, some of people will never want to be in a fight, and I understand that they never want to be in something, but you still need to know that God said we are in a warfare and we need to understand the weapons. That's why in real armies, you know, the very, one of the first things you learn after you go through all the DI stuff, all the, the, in the orient, you know, after you go all through the first 12 weeks and all the stuff where they drive you crazy with all the physical exercise and all that, 
you know, you, you have to learn how to take a weapon apart, blindfolded. You've seen it in movies, there's nothing else. Think you need to know your weapon that well because you need to know in times of great stress when something happens, you need that weapon to function. And so they name, they want you to name your rifle. They want you to know it. They want you to love that rifle. <laughs> I mean, they want you to love it because of what you know you can do with it. And see, in a strange, bizarre way, this is why God wants us to so know that his word is a sword. Do you hear me? It is a sword, but it needs to be well taken care of. You've heard me teach that verse. I love to teach all the time in, in Deuteronomy where God says, you shall take the word of God and you shall wet and sharpen it so as to make it penetrate. Wet, W-H-E-T. And like we said, I grew up, my dad in the mountains, you know, bought me this knife, this incredible deer knife. I mean, beautiful, real steel. And he, back then, and he taught, he bought me these three whetstones, the stones that you sharpen knives on. And anyhow, the, there's a, one called a hard Arkansas, then there's a soft Arkansas, then there's what's called a Washita. It's an Indian name, American Indian name. Sorry, Bobby. But it's three stones. And so you start the life of a blade, new blade on this hard stone, work in this blade. You learn how you have to, for the life of the blade, you sharpen it always the same way, either one cut through or circular. But however you start that blade, you keep it that way for the rest of its life. But you work it from the hard Arkansas, and then you go to the soft Arkansas where you keep honing this thing and honing this thing and honing this thing, but then you finish it with this washita. I had this knife. I know I'm repeating myself, but I don't care. It's so vivid in my memory. I had nothing to do up in the mountains. I mean, I was up there with my mom because she had San Joaquin Valley fever, and my older brother and sisters were down in the valley in Bakersfield, and I'd be up here in Greenhorn Mountain, it was called, by Deer Creek, hallelujah. But I had nothing to do with my mom and myself when I was a young boy. I sharp. I worked with this knife until this thing was, it wasn't sharp. It was sharp. <laughs> I mean, it was so sharp. It really was dangerous. I mean, I could touch small limbs in a little brain. I could touch it with this thing, and it would just go, just walk through it. I mean, it would just walk through the wood. It was sharp. So when God said back then, when I saw that, he said, my word is not my word like a sword and like a hammer, excuse me. But he also he said back there, he said, you understand that my word is the sword which the spirit wields, knowing God's word. But some people see their swords have never been drawn. And it's basically if a devil attacks them, they go to grab their sword, but it's never been used, never been oiled, never been clean. And so it's stuck in the scabbard. And you've got a devil coming at you going, I'm going to get you, I'm going to get you. And you're going, <laughs> and you can't get the dumb sword out because you never work with the thing and you don't know what to do with it. So you get beat up. I'm telling you, it's still true. And take the rhema, which is the word of God, saying, Jesus, I mean, how do, you, how do we not, how do people in the body of Christ not see how simple the truth is when Jesus is our pattern? Is that true or not? Somebody say yes or amen. Is, is Jesus our pattern? You know, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If we want to know how the Father works, we look at Jesus. But I mean, when he was tempted by the devil, what was the pattern? What was the pattern? What was the pattern? It is written. It is written. It is written. Satan is coming at him with these three major temptations. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. The three categories of temptation and that hell brings. Those three areas are the three areas that all temptation comes through. But Jesus' answer for all three areas to Satan himself was speaking what God had already said. My gosh, please hear that. It is your greatest weapon against any opposition. But there is where the question comes. Do we know what is written? Do we? Because we need to know, because there is something written. Listen, there's something written about any and every situation you'll ever be confronted about. You hear me? 
I tell you, Proverbs alone will set you free. But there's something in every single, every, I don't care what the area is, and you have to find that, and you need to possess it, and then you need to start declaring it, professing it, confessing it, whatever term you want to use. In the name of Jesus Christ, I am the healed of the Lord. Or in the name of Jesus Christ, I am blessed coming in, and I am blessed going out. See, there's all the difference in the world between quoting a scripture and decreeing the scripture and or declaring the truth that that verse carries. This is why a lot of people in prayer never pray. They're just throwing out words that are full of flowers or full of this or full of that. But I'm telling you, there is no prayer until your heart's connected. And a lot of people pray from their head. And again, we all know the verse, it's the earnest heartfelt prayer. That of a righteous man that avails much. Uh, you need to wait. This is why I tell people in prayer when we used to teach prayer so much a long time ago, don't even open your mouth until something in here is engaged. That's why... For me, sometimes the first 10 minutes of my prayer is absolute silence because I'm leaning into God. I've learned how to lean into Him, wait on Him expectantly until He, you know, I love that verse that says, as I mused, M-U-S-E-D, as I mused, the fire burned and then I spoke. That's an incredible verse. I can't remember where it is right now. As the fire burned, I mused. In other words, like meditated. And then I spoke. And that's what we have to learn to do. Not just throw any old words out there. But it's like meditate, think, let, wait. What is your heart saying? Hallelujah. And again, you, and you, because, and this is why you stay in the book. Because suddenly... That's what the beauty of rhemas are. Remember the definition of the word rhema? Is that particular verse or scripture that the Holy Spirit brings up into our remembrance for use in time of need, the prerequisite being the regular storing of the mind with scripture. That's exactly what I've learned that from W.E. Vine's Expository Dictionary of New Testament Words. And I've taught it for so many years that I know how to quote that perfectly. But that's what a rhema is. It's word that just comes suddenly up into your remembrance for use in time of need. That's the sword that the Spirit of God will wield and cut the head off your enemies with. But the prerequisite is the regular storing of the mind with Scripture, right? So there's these two problems, hallelujah, that are created, like I said. And as it said, your faith has been weakened. If you don't really understand how to get in there, your faith is weakened, so you lack the spiritual virility and vitality and muscle, which is necessary for standing in the time of pressure. And point B again, your withdrawal, it puts an extra burden on those who are fighting the good fight of faith. And again, this is where this issue of real love, real Christian love, really, really begins to... It's head really. You find out who really walks in Christian, God-given love, because you see, you we can't get angry at those. God want, doesn't want us to get angry at those who don't bear what they should be bearing. And so, a lot of us do at times. We bear one another's burdens, but we're not supposed to. But we are supposed to. But we're not supposed to. To a degree, because they need to be carrying their own. They know they need to know how to deal with things themselves. But often, for a season, just like people did for me, people you know, and people still do. Thank God, you know, people would pray for me when they would see things that, quite frankly, I just wasn't seeing at the time, and I didn't see it. I simply didn't see it. The God of this world had blinded my eyes in an area, but people began to pray for me. And then I began to see, and so often in my life I had people come and tell me, you know, Rod, I've prayed, been praying this for you. 
and I can, as clear as day, I, I be, you know, I could look at them and say, you know what, thank you so much. I really was struggling with that, and I really do appreciate the fact that you've done that. So we're we're called to pray for one another, absolutely. So don't misunderstand me. Remember, I'm talking about there's different levels: strength to strength, faith to faith. Remember, glory to glory. There's all these different levels. But what I'm trying to say is right now you need to understand this, that when people don't enter and when we don't, when we, it's just many hands make light work. It's that worldly saying. In other words, if every single person in here joins in a tug of war with the big rope, if everybody is pulling their own weight, we have a far greater opportunity to win, don't we? It's called teamwork. But think about it then you, we can do so much more whenever it's, it's like the basic truth of agreement. Dead cold. Agreement is the place of power. Disagreement is the place of powerlessness. So hell's job is to keep us in disagreement. And he does so over the stupidest little things. I don't like these chairs. I don't like the way Ayana moves back and forth when she's singing. I don't like the way, you know, Julie gives the announcements. I just, it can be any dumb thing. And we don't realize that it actually puts obstacles in what God wants to do. It's the little foxes that spoil the vine. Even like offerings, how much more could we do? if ever, not, This is not condemnation. We've already received the offering, all right, so nobody freak out. But, you know, the statistics are in America, I don't know what they are here, only 14% of the church actually tithes. That means the church, everything it's doing, everything it's doing, 86% of the people aren't really involved in it. Their heart's not in it. Because Jesus said, I know where your heart is when I know where your treasure is. And so it's tough. And when pastors know that, it makes it tougher as well. When you realize, really, if, you know, if I don't even know how many people in our church tithe, I don't look at that. I mean, they'd send me the figures and what have you like that. But the thing is, it's if you knew, you'd understand. Like it would be, it would make me. Well, I wouldn't get mad, but you know, I'd be disappointed if I knew that only thirty percent of this church actually tithe. Because I understand the scripture means that means only thirty percent of the church is actually involved. They've only thirty percent have taken ownership, and so thirty percent of the people are carrying the weight. Of 100% of the people. You hear what I'm trying to say? Seriously, do you hear what I'm trying to say? So all of this is just something I could say. So I'm talking about courage. We need to have the courage to move forward. Now, uh, put up John. We all know this, but I want you to put up John, Joshua 1.8, if you would. I'm not even going to open my Bible. I'll just let John do it back there. Joshua 1.8. Wait for him to get up there. This is when, you know, Joshua's taking over after Moses. And again, uh, to see how many verses there are in Scripture about courage is, takes you forever. But listen to what God says to Joshua. Hmm. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may observe and do according to all that's written in it, for then you shall make your way prosperous, and then you shall deal wisely and have good success. And we know that. I think I must have meant verse 7. Can you go back one? Yeah. He said, only you be strong. He says this three times in the first chapter. Be strong and very courageous that you may do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Turn not from it to the right hand, or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. Now, just stop right there. Did God say, did God imply that he wants you to prosper wherever you go? Is that the implication? Now, okay, so that's not Rod saying it, right? Right? The implication, God wants us to be successful wherever we go, yet he says that we're going to need to be strong. And very courageous to do according to all this stuff. Now today we've been, thank God, delivered from the law of Moses. But we're nevertheless still called to be strong and to be courageous so that we can do what God's asked of us to do as a church, 
or do what God's asked us to do as a family or do what God's asked us to do as an individual, whatsoever it is. But do you hear what I'm saying? That we be courageous. And I'm just saying we need this courage. Uh, John, could you put up uh, Psalm 27, verse 14? John, I'm John, not John. Put up Psalms 27, 14. You'll get it there. He's just thinking about the rivers in South Africa. Everybody snore. Talk among yourselves for a moment when John works this out. John has trouble when he doesn't have chocolate. Listen to David. Wait and hope for and expect the Lord. Now, even there, I get stopped by that verse, just even that much. Because a lot of people don't know how to do that. You hear me? And again, if we're going to enter into a life of real prayer, knowing that we have a God that is ready, willing, and able to show himself alive, then you have to understand that God doesn't do everything. and he's, he's not McDonald's. He doesn't guarantee you'll have your order at the next window within 60 seconds. But David said, wait, hope for, expect the Lord. Be brave and of good courage and let your heart be stout and enduring. Yes, wait for and hope and expect the Lord. Expect the Lord. I expect the Lord. A lot of people, if they're honest, don't expect God to do something because they're convinced that this is their lot in life forever. Do you hear me? Or they're focused on their previous failures and the previous things that did not go right. At all. They're so focused on that. They're focused on that. They're focused on that. They're focused on that. And what you focus on, you're always drawn toward. He wants us to be drawn toward the solution and to be so aware again of God's absolute ability to move. Now, pull up Galatians 6 9, if you would. I'm just about done. Hallelujah. Don't know if it'll be a record for me, but I'll be done. Galatians 6, 9. Be good, be of good courage. Be strong and be of good courage. Galatians 6, 9, about the fruit of the Spirit. Paul says, and let us not lose heart. You see, again, this is why you need to stop and read. You lose heart gradually. The love of many will grow cold. It won't be cold. It's a process. We begin to give up. We begin to doubt. Right? We begin to believe and receive the suggestions of the enemy that it's not going to work, that this stuff isn't real. But he said, don't lose heart. Don't grow weary. You don't just wake up weary. You grow weary because of the pressure that's on your life. But he said, don't grow weary and faint in acting nobly and doing right. And boy, God so wants us to believe this. For in due time and at the appointed season, we shall reap. Hallelujah. You need, that needs, hopefully, to excite you a little bit. He said the issue, though, is don't faint in your mind because that's where you faint. Remember, you faint between your ears. You faint in your mind. Don't grow weary and faint for, at, for in due time and at the appointed season we shall reap if we do not loosen and relax our courage and faint. Hallelujah. See, he wants us to be strong. He wants us to be alive. He wants us to be at it. Courage. Courage is something that is developed through activity in Christ. And courage is something that you determine to work with. I don't remember the exact quote, whoever said it. Remember where they said, courage is not the absence of fear. And I don't know the rest of the quote. <laughs> it's not the absence of fear. Somebody else know the rest of that? But what? Well, that's good enough. That isn't a real quote, but that's good <laughs> But, see, a lot of people think that, you know, if, if there was nothing coming against you, there'd be no need for courage. So courage is something that just begins to rise up in you when pressure, when opposition comes. 
Now, I'm, I don't know if you actually know this, but in this world, you will have tribulation. A friend of mine said that. <laughs> A friend of mine said that, and he's never lied to me. He said, in this world, you will have tribulation. But then he went on to say something else. He said, but you know what? Chill, no big deal. But be of good courage. You know what? I've overcome the world of the power to harm you. I've overcome it already. So be of good cheer. So I always ask people, show me your good cheer face. In the midst of tribulation, he said tribulation, it's, it's coming at you right now. It's there. You're fighting sometimes. It's not a funny thing. Sometimes you're fighting, you know, cancer is not a funny thing. You're fighting something horrific. And yet he says, be of good cheer. Even science and doctors today are telling you, this is why they will not operate on some people who, who like, feel like they know they're going to die. When the very first time when I was, when I went to that, when I was still on drugs and I overdosed at one time and uh, they pronounced me dead three times on the table. But this one doctor, this Dr. Muzzarelli, uh, would not give up on me. And I came back and he told me later, he said, you had to, he said, he said, even though you were totally unconscious and you were passed out, he said, he said, as a surgeon, he says, there's something we can tell by the strength of the blood and by the strength of the heartbeat and whatever. And he said, you have one of the strongest wills to live of any man I've done surgery on. And, and they know, somehow they know when somebody has a will. There's, a, there's physical reactions in the human body that'll tell you, I just, I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to quit. I'm going to keep I'm going to keep at this thing. I mean, I'm just going to keep at it. And you can't manufacture that, but I tell you, if you hang around people who have it, it'll get on you. And that's the thing. Be around positive people. Is that not true, Ann? You work with teams everywhere. You have to be around people who are solution-oriented, not problem-oriented. That's how you deal with problems, having solutions. And we're answer people. So let me just finish with this. We have to have courage because we are all facing an enemy. There is an enemy. I've heard people for years and years and years, you know, pray for unity. We love to pray Psalm 133 about, you know, how... Uh, that unity is, is when that's when God commands the blessing. But you know what history proves? Listen to me, and I'm done. I'll even stand up. Hallelujah. I will, in Jesus' name, before it's all over, be preaching, teaching again without having to sit in some dumb stool. I will. But you know what actually causes unity? What history has proven causes real unity? You know what that is? This, quote, the revelation of a common enemy. The revelation of a common enemy. If a bomb does go off right outside this place, nobody will care whether you're Christian, Muslim, Hindu, black, white, green, orange, gray, yellow, any of it. When something happens that's an actual incredible slice of horror or, or, or attack or an onslaught, suddenly none of that matters, does it? Seriously, I'm telling you, you don't care. None of that matters. It's not whether or not everybody's talking about the stuff that's happened in America and they're all saying about how Wonderful, they saw things happen in Hurricane Harvey there back in, you know, in Houston. And again, my good friend, our good friend Doug Stringer has, he's the, the head of CEO of a ministry called Somebody Cares, who does stuff around the world, uh, who was one of, he, Paul Cole, and myself were three of the first persons Dr. Cole ordained in, in men's ministry all those years ago, so we've known each other for a long time. I mean, hundreds of thousands, hundreds and hundreds of thousands uh, goods were brought in by Doug Stringer to that thing. But when you see all the people, nobody cared anymore if they were, it is amazing when stuff like that happens. They really didn't care if you were black or white 
all the racial stuff that still happens in so many parts of the world, including America, of course. But they didn't care, man. You didn't care if it was a black man or a Chinese person who grabbed your hand and pulled you out of the car. You were just grateful. You know what I mean? But real unity, history proves, comes from the revelation of a common enemy. And folks, we have to recognize that, that when it's all said and done, we have a common enemy. And we are called by God to be part of his army. And we are called by God to learn about the weapons of our warfare. And we're called by God to understand that we need courage to, how, to learn how to, you've heard me say this a thousand times, to learn how to put pressure on the pressure. We must, remember I quoted this when I first started, there's only four possible postures in warfare, offense, defense, detente, and desertion. And hell is only afraid of one posture, and that's, being, that's offense. But the truth of the matter is, according to Frangipan, according to uh, George Barna research, that over 99, 99, 99, how sad, 99% of the body of Christ is reactive and not proactive. In other words, they wait till the problem comes instead of initiating the truth before it happens. This is why God doesn't want you to wait till you get sick to learn healing scriptures. You hear that? He doesn't wait till you have a fine. He doesn't want you to wait till you have a financial catastrophe before you start learning God's will for, for finance and what he wants to do in your life. He wants you to be proactive. Amen? Please hear me. I really am trying to help you. I, no, I, no, no, I'm not. not you know. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Sheila. <laughs> no, but I mean, I really am trying. I really want to help you. I'm not just trying to bring a message. This is why we need each other, okay? And I, I love what God's word simply says. He said, when you're weak, I'm strong. So I don't panic when Rod's weak because I know in my heart I have a brother who's stronger than I am, and he's right beside me. But we need each other, and all of us have experienced a friend, haven't we, who's been there, when we just simply needed a friend, right? It's so simple. But see, we need to live like that proactively. This is why I've said from the beginning, and maybe I need to reiterate it a whole lot, when you come to church, find someone to encourage. It's so simple. Just find one person. If everybody has it on their heart, encourage. We need courage. We need somebody to initiate Courage. And nothing initiates courage in your own heart than somebody else coming around and putting their arm on your shoulder sometime at that right moment when you need it. Amen? You don't live waiting. Why don't somebody come and talk to me? Why didn't somebody come and tell me what a nice guy I am after I'm the pastor? Nobody loves me. Nobody cares. Julie gets all the cards. Julie gets all the good stuff. No, but you don't wait for people to come to you. You have to shift that thinking. You have to obliterate that. I love the fact that scripture says, be mindful to be a blessing. And so I started training myself. I know you'll laugh at me, but I, I've told you before. I used to just stand in front of the mirror and say, you are a blessing. I'd look myself straight in the face and say, you're a blessing going someplace to happen. All right? You know, so everybody stand up. I want you to raise your hands to heaven. Close your eyes. Raise your hands to heaven. Then I'm going to hit you with a stick. Close your eyes so you won't know what I'm about to do. <laughs> Woe unto you in the front row. Close your eyes. Raise your hands to heaven. Open your mouth and say this. I am a blessing. I am a big blessing. I'm a huge blessing. I am a gigantic blessing. I am a humongous blessing. Going somewhere to explode. 
all over other people. Yes, it's true. I am a blessing. I am a gigantic blessing. And I'm ready to bless. Everywhere I go, I'm going to bless. You know why? Because God's given me a commandment to bless and not to curse. God forgive me for every time I curse someone intentionally or unintentionally. I'm going to bless because you've blessed. Therefore, I will be a blessing. Hallelujah. Thank you, God, for making me such an incredible, awesome, mighty, wonderful, beautiful blessing. Amen. All right. Give the Lord a hand for that. We believe you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday 